Chapter 41. The McNabb boys didn't know whom they did expect Maniac to bring to the party, but one thing for sure, they did not expect him to come walking through the front door with a black kid. And that was only half of it. From the way the kid swaggered in, from the candy bar that jutted like a chocolate stogie from the corner of his mouth, from the ripped stone evil scowl on his face, the kid had to be none other than Mars Bar Thompson himself. If black meant bad, if black meant in-your-face nastiness, if black meant as far from white as you can get, then Mars Bar Thompson was the blackest of the black. Here, in the middle of their living room, stopping the party, the neighborhood kids, the Cobras, even George McNabb, stopping them dead as traffic, just walked in through the front door, the steel door, breezed right on in, past the bars, standing there, I own this jointing there, before they knew what was happening, before anyone could reach for anything, which, of course, is just what Maniac had had in mind. Remembering how little Grayson had known about black people and black homes, thinking of the McNabb's wrong-headed notions, thinking of Mars' knee-jerk reaction to anyone wearing a white skin, and thinking, naturally, what else would you expect? Whites never go inside blacks' homes, much less inside their thoughts and feelings, and blacks are just as ignorant of whites. What white kid could hate blacks after spending five minutes in the Beale's house? And what black kid could hate whites after answering Mrs. Pickwell's dinner whistle? But the Eastenders stayed in the East, and the Westenders stayed in the West, and the less they knew about each other, the more they invented. It hadn't been easy, finding Mars Bar, talking all, all his lip about cheating on the race, taking some bumps, shove, some shoves, Mars goading him to fight, but keeping his own cool, marching Mars Bar's glare for glare, telling him he wasn't as bad as he thought he was, really stoking him on now, making him slam his candy bar on the ground. No, you want to tell me why I ain't so bad, fish? Go ahead, for I waste ya, chest to chest. Keeping cool, letting Mars do all the huffing. Simple. You don't cross Hector. You stay over here where it's safe. How bad would you be over there? Stepping back then, folding his arms, smugging it up just enough. Standing there in his white skin, gazing nonchalantly about six blocks deep in the heart of the black side. Guess that makes me badder than you. They did not go straight to the McNabs. First, they went to the Pickwells. Maniac wanted Mars Bar to see the best the West Side had to offer. The little Pickwells made as much a fuss over Mars Bar as over Maniac. They believed, as did all little kids in the West End, that he carried a hundred Mars Bars with him at all times. Not surprisingly, Mrs. Pickwell never batted an eye when she saw who was coming to dinner. It was quite a sight, all right. Sixteen Pickwells plus Maniac plus a down-and-out golf caddy. Eighteen so-called white faces and Mars Bar Thompson. To his credit, Mars Bar didn't use the word fish belly or honky once, though on one occasion he did bend the truth a mite. When a Pickwell kid asked him if it was true about the famous race in April, did Maniac really beat him going backwards? Mars Bar studied his fork for a minute and said, Yeah, he went backward. But you got the story wrong. Wasn't me he beat. Was my brother, Milky Way. The little kids couldn't understand why grown-ups laughed for five minutes after that. As for Mars Bar himself, his expression never changed until the dinner was almost over, when the littlest non-baby Pickwell, Dolly, called him Mr. Bar. And even then, it wasn't so much a smile as a crack in his glare. Even if Mars wasn't letting on, Mars could tell, Maniac could tell, that he was pleased to learn his fame had spread to the West. When they had left, half the Pickwell kids followed them, begging Mars to perform his legendary feat of stopping traffic. Don't, Maniac warned. It might not work over here. But the Pickwells persisted, and when they reached Marshall Street, Mars Bar commanded, Stay here, and stepped into the traffic. Not only did he shamble, jive, juke, hip-doodle at his own sweet pace, he did something he had never 
even down in the East End. He came to a complete and utter halt halfway across and let nothing but the evil in his eyes take care of the rest. He stood like that for one full minute. By the time he finally moved to the far side, so the legend goes, 23 cars, several bicycles, and a bus were stacked to a dead stop in both directions. Maniac hurried across while the Pickwell stood at the curb, cheering and waving goodbye. But no one was cheering now in Fort McNabb, and Maniac knew that despite the swagger and the scowl and the chocolate stogie, Mars Bar Thompson was one uneasy dude. Chapter 42. George McNabb was the first to speak up. He was stretched out on the only new piece of furniture in the house, a tilt-back lounge chair, said McNabb. What's he doing here? The awkward silence that followed was mercifully broken by Piper, tugging on Maniac's arm. Where's my birthday present? What'd you get me? Maniac pulled the present from his pocket. Piper exclaimed, a watch? No, said Maniac, a compass. It tells you which direction you're going. Like to the ocean? asked Russell. The ocean, Mexico, anywhere in the world. Only one thing. What's that? Maniac took the compass from Piper's hand. I'm keeping it till school's over. If you go every day, both of you, then you can have it back and sail around the world. On our raft, Piper cheered. Is it a deal? Piper and Russell and Maniac did a three-way high five. It's a deal. George McNabb pulled himself up from the easy chair and shuffled into the kitchen. He wore bareback slippers over bare feet. His white ankles were dirty. He took a beer from the fridge and handed it, headed for the steps. Let me know when it leaves, he said, and went upstairs. Maniac could feel the voltage that surged through Mars Bar and crackled black lightning from his eyes. Quickly, he clapped his hands. Hey, isn't this a party? Where's the games? So they played games. Silly games, whose main ob object seemed to be shrieking and screaming. Mars Bar allowed himself to be dragged into them, but his jaw was clenched and his eyes kept straying to the gaping hole in the ceiling and to the cobras who were slouching against the walls and baseboards, sipping beers and watching his every move. None of them had spoken since Mars and Maniac walked in. Of course, as far as the little kids were concerned, the highlight of the whole party was not the birthday boy, Piper McNabb, but the McNabb's new pillbox. They found every excuse to stay inside it. They fought over space at the narrow gunnery slots. When Mars Bar whispered to Maniac, what is that? Maniac said it was a bomb shelter. Then Russell called, let's play Rebels. White's in the pillbox, black's outside. A cheer went up, and a dozen kids stampeded into the pillbox. Their gabble circled the cinder block walls and popped from the gunnery slots. I'm going to be white. I'm going to be white. Me too. Too many in here. We need more blacks. Not me. Not me. We ain't got enough guns. Only the ones with the guns are in. The rest of you, get out. You're black. Give me a gun. I had it first. Come on, you meatballs. Blacks is the best part. You got to get chain. Charge. Yeah. We get to lose. Look, you can use beer cans for grenades. You can lob grenades. Well, somebody gotta be black, else we ain't playing. I'm counting. By the time I hit ten, I want to see a five-ya out of here. Russell counted. No one came out. Not at nine, not at ten, not after ten. Maniac and Mars stared in silence at the gunnery slots where wide-open eyes began to appear. One pair atop another. Three words that Mars Bar sneered. The joke that he spat out. Yeah, bomb shelter did not even have the moment to themselves. For just then, another word, Geronimo, came plunging from the sky and landed with a floor jarring, heart-stopping crash directly behind him. A cobra had jumped up from the hole, a fat, red-haired cobra, who was now rolling on the floor and laughing so hard, as were all the cobras, 
that his face matched the color of his hair. You see him? You see him jump? I never seen. I never see his face. Somebody check out his pants. Check out his drawers. Oh, man. Oh. Maniac had to wrap Mars Bar in a bear hug to keep him from lunging at the fat red roller. The laughter stopped as if cut by scissors. The cobras were standing. John McNabb sauntered forward. You got a problem, Sonny? That wasn't funny, John, said Maniac. He could have been hurt. McNabb kept his eyes on Mars Bar. I ain't talking to you, McGee. I'm talking to Sonny here. Do you like our party, Sonny boy? Mars Bar strained against Maniac's arms. You ain't got to worry about me coming to no more of your parties, Fishbelly. And you ain't got to worry about me invading this piss hole. Anybody come to a block away, they faint away from the smell. McNabb advanced. Maniac shouted, John, you owe me one. I brought the boys back. McNabb took another step, then stayed. The cobra stayed, and Maniac, clamping the struggling Mars bar for dear life, lunged him down a gauntlet of seething eyes to the door and the street. Mars bar retched free and stomped on ahead. Maniac followed. It was almost dark. High above, the streetlights were buzzing on one by one. After several blocks, Mars bar wheeled. You suckered me. You softened me up with them pick peoples. Then bring me here. What do you think? I was going to cry? Okay, I come over. I did it. It's done. And don't you be coming round no more. You hear me, fish? Because you ain't only see me half bad yet. He turned and headed due east. Maniac walked another way. It was a good question. What had he thought? What had he expected? A miracle? Well, come to think of it, maybe one had happened. While he was looking for one miracle, maybe another one had stuck up on him. It happened as he was clamping and lugging Mars Bar down the gauntlet of cobras, trying to keep him alive. And what was Mars Bar doing? Fighting him, maniac, straining to get loose and bust some cobras. Outnumbered, outweighed, but not outhearted. That's when maniac felt it. Pride. For this East End warrior, whom maniac could feel trembling in his arms, scared as any normal kid would be, but not showing it to them. Yeah, you're bad, all right, Mars Bar. You're more than bad. You're good. Maniac stopped. He had been walking in circles. It was dark. He turned one way, then another. For the brief- briefest moment, thinking to go home. Thinking, it's time to go home now. Then remembering that once again, he had no home to go to. Chapter 43. He slept in the park that night, and for the next dozen or so. Sometimes in the buffalo shed, other times the band shell, benches, or the pavilion. The nights were warm now. June was on the way. He ate when and where he could, for apples and carrots and day-old hamburger buns. You couldn't beat the deer and buffalo pens. The new acne had opened, and the bakery section always had a tray of free samples sitting on the counter. And then there were always the Pickwells. It may have been an illusion, but it seemed that the hungrier he got, the farther Mrs. Pickwell's whistle traveled. Some dinner times, there was hardly a spot in town from which he could not hear it. He read in the library. He joined pickup gangs in the park basketball, baseball. School was letting out. There were more kids. Mornings were the best. He would rise with the sun's color before the sun itself, before the bison, and set out. He came to think of these apple skin hours as his special time with the town. There was not a street or alleyway or house or store, not even a garage, that he did not recognize. His footsteps fell everywhere but on the bridge over the school kill, his eyes everywhere but on the P&W trolley trussel. And the people, most of them he did not know by name or face, yet they revealed themselves to him even as they slept. He knew them by their windows and cars and porches and toys they left outside. But most of all, he knew them by their backyards. Flowers, 
weeds, junk, pet houses, tree houses, vegetable gardens, rubber tires, grass ranging from desert sparse to shaggy and trim as a Marine's haircut. The backyards were as different as individuals as faces, as individual as faces. The east end and west end, black and white, would begin only when the alarm clocks rang. For now, before sunrise, there were no divisions, no barriers. There were only the people, the families, the town, his town, as much his town as anyone else's. He knew he could be sleeping right then in the Beale's house or the Pickwells or even the McNabs, but beyond that, for a few enchanted moments each newborn morning, he believed there was not a single home in two mills, not a single one, that would not happily welcome him to enter and go upstairs and curl up between its sleepers. Maybe that's why he left his bandshell bench late one night in mid-June and went to someone's backyard on Hamilton Street, someone whose leaf lettuce he had watched growing and quietly opened the gate and closed it behind him and laid himself down on a white wicker love seat on the back porch. From then on, he slept in a different backyard or back porch every night. Once, finding the back door unlocked, he even slept in the kitchen. Chapter 44 One morning in early July, cruising down the Appleskin Hour, Maniac thought he heard footsteps other than his own. He stopped. Only the vast quietness responded. It happened a few times more. Must be his own footfalls echoing down the row house canyons. Two days later, passing an alley, he thought something moved at the other end. And once, turning into the broad street, he had the feeling, more sense than sight, that something had just flashed around a corner two blocks away. When these odd sensations continued, for another morning or two, Maniac knew he was not alone. So he was not totally surprised when a few mornings later he turned a corner and ran smack into another early riser. No, it wasn't the what that surprised him, it was the who. Mars Bar Thompson. They quickly bounced off each other and went their separate ways. Neither paused, neither said a word. It was the first in a series of apparently random meetings. Intersections, alleys, one never knew when he would come upon the other. Sometimes they found themselves running the same route, only a block apart. On one occasion, they trotted down the same street at the same time in the same direction, but on opposite sides of the street. And then one day, as it happened, they each turned a particular corner at the same moment and headed off in the same direction side by side. Still neither spoke. Not even their eyes met. They jogged silently for a block, then veered apart. The next time they dovetailed, they stayed that way for two blocks, then three blocks, and so on. No words, no looks, just the rhythmic slapping of their sneaker soles on the sidewalk and the pulsing duet of their breathings. Stride after stride, shoulder to shoulder, breath for breath, till they were matching on all points, a harnessed pair, two runners becoming one. Morning after morning, it happened this way, the two of them dovetailing at an intersection and, without the slightest hitch and stride, cruising off together. Though each face showed no awareness of the other, they were, in fact, minutely sensitive to each other. If Mars Bar cranked up the pace a notch, Maniac would pick it up with a stride. If Maniac inched ahead, Mars Bar was there. If one veered to the left or right, the other followed like a shadow. One day one was the leader, the other day the next. The next day the other. One day, Mars Bar would lead Maniac down the river, down the tracks, past the railroad gondolas, each with its mountain of coal, to the rolling mill of the steel plant where his father worked. Another day, Maniac would head for the townships to the north and west, the farmlands of the county, where dew sparkled on spiderwebs and nature was doing such fresh and wonderful things that you could almost hear the long, neat congregations of corn clapping. Amen and amen. 
When the working people began leaving their houses, the daybreak boys diverged. Mars bar to the east end, maniac to wherever. A week passed, a second week, morning after morning, stride for stride, breath for breath. Never a word, never a glance. Each believing the other simply happened to be going where he was going. They were cruising Main Street one morning, passing the Grand Movie Theater, when Piper McNabb came screaming down the middle of the empty street. He was wide-eyed and crying and soaking wet. His feet were slathered in coal-black mud. He shrieked and babbled at them, but he made no sense, so they just followed as he raced frantically back up the street. As they ran, the belch-like toot of a whistle grew louder and louder. He led them to the corner of Main and Swede, to where the platform of the P&W trolley terminal hung high from the sidewalk. He burst into the terminal building and up the steps. In a moment, Maniac and Marsbar were on the platform, gasping and following point Piper's pointing finger down the tracks. What they saw pulled the fragments of Piper's babble together. The boys had been playing bombs away. Piper's part was to sail the raft down the river. Piper's Rus Russell's part was to wait on the trolley trestle that spanned the river, and when Piper passed underneath, bombs away from a bucket full of rocks. Everything went as planned, unless you count Russell's falling to failing to sink the raft and Piper's practically drowning trying to beach it until Piper returned to the terminal to find Russell sitting out on the trestle. Apparently, without the target below to focus on, Russell had suddenly discovered how high he was. One false step and he could slip right between the ties to the river. And that's where Russell was now, out on the middle of the trestle, high over the water, frozen in terror, not even a railing to cling to, responding neither to Piper's cries nor to the red and yellow P&W trolley, which was which also occupied the trestle, idling and tooting about 20 feet away. Piper pulled at Maniac. Save him! Save him! Marsbar stared with growing astonishment at Maniac, whose wide, unblinking eyes were fixed on that trestle. Yet somehow he did not seem to register what was there. Nor did he seem to hear Piper pleading. With a drenched, mud-footed kid clawing at him, he turned without a word, without a gesture, and left the platform and went downstairs. Shortly, he appeared on the sidewalk below. He crossed Main and continued walking, slowly up Swede, Piper screaming after him from the end of the platform. Chapter 45. McGee! McGee! Maniac's first groggling thought was that it was the buffalo calling to him. Then he thought, it's the superintendent. He discovered me. He's come to kick me out. He propped himself on his elbow, swatted a straw from his ear, and gave a better listen. McGee! McGee! Mars bar. It was the second night following the morning at the trestle. Maniac had been asleep in the buffalo lean-to. He stood. McGee! Where are you? Here! Over here! He headed toward the voice over the hoof-chopped earth. The moon was full. He could see Mars Bar's dark form against the fence. Then he could see his eyes. What are you doing here? I've been looking for you. I heard you hung out here. Where'd you hear that? Amanda Beal, you really sleep here, man? What do you want? Where's the buffaloes? I can't see them. They're sleeping like every other person that's got sense. What are you doing out here at this time of night? I snuck out. If I'm not there when they wake up, they'll figure I'm out running, like usual. Ain't you afraid in there? No. Both fell silent. Cricket talk and fireflies held the night. McGee? Yeah? I gotta ask you something. Go ahead. Why'd you, why'd you go after the kid? Why'd you go away? Maniac didn't answer. Listen, man, I know you wasn't scared. I know it. So I had to come and ask you. Maniac's voice came faintly. Faintly. Is he okay? I asked you first. Maniac drew a long breath. 
You want to come in? Mars Bar laughed. You kidding? Ain't no buffalo going to eat this dude. They don't eat people. You come out here, man. Maniac climbed the fence. He started to walk. Mars Bar walked with him. Maniac told him the story of his parents' death. He told about his problem with the trestle, how he had learned to avoid it. And then all of a sudden, there I was, on the platform, looking out at it, closer to it than I ever was before, up on the same level. I always saw it from below before. Now I was up there, too, where they were. Looking down, it was more real than ever. The nightmare was worse than ever. I saw the trolley coming. I saw it falling. Them, them. They walked in silence past the silo-shaped cage of the broken-winged golden eagle. Mars Bar swallowed hard. His voice was hoarse. I knew you wasn't scared. Maniac sniffed. I don't remember much. Next thing I knew, I was somewhere on Swede Street. Somebody come down the east like you did, all by himself, a fish belly, get up in my face. He ripped a stick through the deer pen fence. I knew scared, wasn't it? So, said Maniac, what happened? Mars Bar laughed, wagging his head. Happened? Man, I still don't believe it. He rippled the fence. That little honky, he looks at me with his crybaby face and says, can I go out there and get his brother? I look around like, is somebody else here? I say to him, who are you talking to, me? I'm just pulling his train, only he doesn't know it. Because I'm ticked a little, you know? Because there he was, hollering up for you in the street. And here I am, standing right alongside the stupid white potato. Understand what I'm saying? Maniac nodded, and out of the darkness came the strangest sound, a kind of amplified gulp. Mars Bar jumped. What's that? Emu, said Maniac. There. Behind the nearest fence loomed a tall, thin-necked, a thin neck topped by a small head. E what? Emu. Second largest bird in the world, after the ostrich. They're from Australia. I don't remember studying about no emu. You buddies with all these dudes? No, just the buffalo. So go ahead. What happened? What happened? Mars Bar snorted. What happened was, I went out and rescued the dumb fish. Like to get myself killed. Maniac touched Mars Bar's arm. He's okay? Mars Bar snickered. Yeah, he's okay, but that ain't the main part. The main part is how he was all grabbing on to me, coming off them tracks, shaking, shivering, hugging, like he wanted to climb inside me. I was afraid. <laughs> he shook his head and giggled. Afraid the fish belly was going to kiss me. They laughed. Maniac tried to picture it, the two of them making their way across the trestle, tie by tie, arms wrapped around each other. And even that ain't the mainest part, said Mars Bar, his voice rising in wonder. Even when we got off, the midget wouldn't let me go. We're off it, I says to him. You're rescued, but all he does is grab me harder like he's an octopus or something. Off the platform, down the steps, out to the street. He's still doing it. I couldn't pry him off nohow. So, said Maniac, what did you do? What I do? I took him home. Maniac stopped dead. What? Mars Bar shrugged. I figured, let my mom pry him off me, because the other one had to come too, but I made him leave them muddy sneakers outside. He put his nose to the fence. What's in there? I don't see nothing. Prairie Dog Town. They're underground. So what then? So my mother took over. She pried the one off me, and soon she does, he jumps right onto her like an octopus. I go to pull him off, and she gets all mad at me and says, let him go, let him go. She gets the wet one dried off, takes off his clothes, and puts my old stuff on him, stuff she's been saving in case I get a little brother someday, but I won't because my mom can't have no babies no more, and I ain't even come to the craziest part yet. What's that? They didn't want to go home. They stayed all day. 
My mother babying them, feeding them. I tell her not to. She swats me away. Sometimes my mom ain't got no sense. She makes me play games with them, Monopoly and stuff. Finally, my father drives them home. It's after dark. They're getting out of the car, and I know what they say to me. I'm in the car, too. He wagged his head. They asked me to come in and play that game of theirs, Rebels. They, like, beg me, and I say, Come on, please. If you play with us, we'll let you be white. You believe that? Maniac chuckled. I believe it. They walked on. Mickey? Yeah? I had to ask you something. Now I gotta tell you something. What's that? You smell like a buffalo. Ears of a hundred different shapes pricked at the loud, long laughter of the boys. McGee? Mars Bar said after a spell. Yeah. My mother wants to ask you something to you. Your mother? Yeah, like I told you. I like I told her about you, you know. Actually, she already heard about you. So? She wants to know, like, uh, why don't you come to our house? Maniac turned, stared directly at Mars Bar. Mars Bar looked away. He said nothing more. They walked on, silent among the crickets and the fireflies. Having made a full circle of the zoo, they were back at the pen of the American bison. Maniac said, I can't. Why not? said Mars Bar. My house not good enough? My mother? Maniac struggled for words. I didn't say I didn't want to. It's just, I, I don't know. Things happen. I, I can't. Look, man, Morris Bar snapped. Ain't nobody saying come live with us. All we saying, all she's saying is you want to come for a little, you know, visit. You want to? Well, come on, you can. That's all. Don't go making a no big thing, man. Ain't no big thing. Maniac shuddered. He turned his eyes to the sky, beyond the flickering fireflies to the skies, to the stars. If there were answers, they were as far away as the constellations. I gotta go, he said. And before Mars Bar could react, he was over the fence and hurrying for the lean-to. Chapter 46. The teeth of the buffalo clamped firmly upon his ear and lifted his head up from the straw, up from sleep. Mars Bar was right! They do eat people! The buffalo did more than bring great pain to his ear. It spoke to him. Ain't you nice? Ain't you nice? But the voice of the buffalo was the voice of Amanda Beale, and its teeth were her fingers pulling and wrenching his poor ear till he was sitting upright. See that? She snapped and scrambled his brains with a smack to the head. I'd rather, he'd rather she pulled his ear. There you go, making me say it. I have not said that word all year long, and now you go making me so mad. She snatched a handful of straw and flung at him. I'm sorry, he said. He wondered if he could have better luck sleeping in the emu pen. Can I ask a question? Make it quick, she growled. Except for making you say ain't. What is it I'm saying I'm sorry for? What? She screeched. She was standing above him, hands on her on hips. He didn't need the light of day to feel the look on her face. You're sorry for a whole mess of things, boy. You're sorry because you didn't accept Snickers' invitation to his house. And you're sorry because he came throwing a ball up against my bedroom window and waking me up and telling me I had to get up out of my bed and sneak out of my house in the middle of the night and come out here to do something about all this. That's why you're sorry, boy. Maniac yawned. Snickers? That's what I'm changing his name to. How bad can you act if everybody calls you Snickers? A voice came rasping from the fence. Shut up, girl! Maniac howled with laughter. 
It struck him that it had been a long time since he had reared back like this, so he just let the laughter carry on as long as it wanted. When he finally settled down, Maniac said, Okay, let's go. Huh? said Maniac. Let's go. Where? Home. Whose? Mine, yours, ours. Come on, I'm sleepy. Oh, no. Maniac opened his mouth to speak in protest to explain, but there's too much. A hundred nights would not be long enough to explain, to make her understand. So he simply said, I can't, and lay back down. In an instant, he was bolt upright again, yanked by a hand he could not believe belonged to a girl. Don't tell me I can't. I didn't come all the way out here in my nightshirt and my slippers and climb that fence and almost kill myself so I could hear you tell me can't, she was yelling. Several pens away, Prairie Dog Town stirred. Heads popped up into the moonlight. You got it all wrong, Buster. You ain't got, ooh, see, she kicked him. You do not have a choice. I am not asking you, I'm telling you. You are coming home with me, and you are going to sleep in my room, which is going to be your room. And I don't care if you sleep on the floor or the windowsill or what, but you are going to sleep in there and not here. And you are going to sleep there tonight and tomorrow night and the night after that. And then after that, and every night, except maybe once in a while if you decide to sleep over at Snickers' house, if he ever asks you again, this is not your home, now move. She jerked him to his feet. Applause and a brief whistle came from the fence. Amanda led him by the hand across the muddy, lumpy earth. Boost me, she commanded at the fence. He boosted her. Mars Bar helped her down from the other side. Maniac hesitated, then climbed over himself. They walked to the zoo and down the boulevard, the three of them, Maniac and Mars Bar, Snickers, and Maniac. <laughs> Amanda and Mars Bar slash Snickers and Maniac. Amanda grumbling all the way. You're more trouble outside of the, ha the house than in it. Now I'm going to have to throw these slippers away. There's probably buffalo poop all over them. And you better not come within 10 feet of me, boy, till you get a bath. Maniac said nothing. He was quite content to let Amanda do the talking, for he knew that behind her grumbling was all that he had ever wanted. He knew that finally, truly, at long last, someone was calling him home. <laughs>